Wilson. I am Chuck's son, and I'll be preaching this Sunday at New Hope Community Church. Uh, if you can't make it, that's why I'm recording it, or if it rains, so yeah, you'll have access to this sermon. Either way. And the topic for today is going to be freedom in Christ. Freedom in Christ. And I'm going to be reading from John 8, verses 34 to 36. So if you want to open up there, you can. Um, I'll be reading from the NIV version of the Bible. And I'm actually going to get right into it today. I'm just going to read the passage and we'll go from there. So here I go. This is John 8, verses 34 to 36. Jesus said, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And there's a common misconception about freedom in Christian circles today, especially in America. There's this idea that says, because of God's grace, I have a freedom to sin because he's going to forgive me. Freedom in Christ means I have a license, a liberty to sin because of God's grace. I will be forgiven. There was this professing Christian on the show called The Bachelorette. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of it. But basically, the idea of the show is there's this girl who dates uh, 20 guys at a time. And she basically, she's trying to find her soulmate. And each week, she votes somebody off until there's, there's one guy left. And then she, they get engaged and eventually married. And that's the whole idea of the show. And the girl who was on it, the bachelorette, she was a, a professing Christian. And there was also another guy on the show, one of the 20, who was a Christian. And he was crazy in his own in, in his own way, but he, he basically confronted the girl and said, you know, what what you're doing is wrong, you know, dating all these people. And you know the nature of the show. There's going to be all sorts of sexual promiscuity going on between her and the many men she's dating at this time. So the guy confronts her and he says, what you're doing is wrong with all these different guys. You know, uh, sex is meant for a man and a woman in marriage. And that's basically what he said. And she says, how dare you? How dare you say that to me? Don't you know that I have God in my heart? He will forgive me. He will forgive me. And that was basically what she's saying is, I can do whatever I want. I have the freedom to sin because that's what God's grace is for. He's a friend of the sinners. He's going to forgive me. And I was working at a VBS uh, a few years back and it wasn't for New Hope, so you don't have to worry, but... Uh, there was this guy working there, and he was dating this girl, and he wanted to marry her. And, um, you know, relationships got brought up one time as we were hanging out. And uh, they were doing some things that were not exactly appropriate for a dating couple to do, a Christian dating couple. So when the, the topic came up, he was like, yeah, what we're doing is wrong, but that's what God's grace is for. He's going to forgive me. It's okay. It's all right. You know, we know what we're doing is wrong, but that's what God's grace is for. It's for forgiveness. You know, what was he saying? I have freedom to sin because God's going to forgive me. And I thought this way for a while too. Uh, I thought I could do whatever I wanted and, and God's grace would cover my sins. He would forgive me. So I would just sin rampantly with without any care in the world. But I learned that is not what true biblical freedom is. And if you've ever thought this way, it's in error and it's wrong. And I'm, I'm going to set to show you guys why it's wrong. Biblical freedom does not give us a license to sin. It does not. And that's what we're going to look at today. 
So let me reread John 8, verses 34 to 36. And this is what the text says. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Alright, let's just stop right there. What is the first truth we find in this passage? That everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. What exactly does that mean? What is this passage teaching? It's teaching a doctrine called total depravity. I'm not sure if you guys have ever heard of it before, but what this passage is teaching is that everyone by nature from birth is sinful. They are evil. Our desires are set on evil things and all we want to do is sin. There is nothing else for us. All we do is sin. That's what this text is teaching. We are sinful by nature. Whenever we have the chance to choose what is good and to choose what is evil, we will always choose evil because we are sinful beings. Listen to what Romans 3, 10 to 12 says. Listen to this. This is what Paul says. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. We've all turned away from God. And then, as a result, we've all become worthless. And then he goes on to say, there's no one who does good, not even one. There's no one who does good. No human on earth can do good. We are sinful by nature. But listen to what David says. David takes it even further. In Psalm 51.5, he says, Surely, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. What is he saying? He's saying from the time he was being formed in the womb, he was evil. He was sinful. All he knew was doing wrong. And a lot of people have a tough time with this teaching, with this doctrine of total depravity is what they call it. And for a while I did too. I was like, well, even if we're, we're born evil, as Psalm 51.5 said, even if we're born evil, can't our environment teach us to do good? Can't our parents teach us to do what is right? Can't we do good? And I was like, there's no way that a child born can just be evil. They have to learn evil. They have to learn sin. And I thought that way for a while. And then I had kids. And, you know, I'm 22 with two kids, which is uh, pretty shocking. Even when I think about it, I'm like, whoa, that's kind of crazy. And my first son, James, who's about uh, a year and a half, I remember as he started getting older and we started changing his diapers, they became more of a battle. And eventually one time he just started slapping my face as I was changing his diaper. And I was like, no one taught him to do that. He did it on his own. No one had to teach him to hit somebody. By nature, he knew what he was doing. And just the other day, again, he was he had a friend over at our apartment and, and his friend was playing with one of his toys. And James walked over and, and grabbed it from his hand and sure enough, a second later, they're on the ground fighting and tackling each other. And it was so wild. I felt like I was watching the story of Cain and Abel play out right in front of my eyes. You know, jealousy, the inability to share all of these evil things within them were coming out at one year old. And even just yesterday, Mariah uh, had Lucas laying on the ground um, on one of the, the baby pillows. And... 
for James, Lucas was in the way of one of his toys. So Mariah said he literally grabbed his leg and started dragging him across the floor. And Lucas is two months old. He's a fairly newborn baby. And James is just dragging him across the floor with no care whatsoever for anyone else. You know, you don't have to teach evil. It's always there. It's in our hearts from birth. But is there anything we can do to change our sinful behavior? Can't we change? Isn't there something we can do? Well, let's listen to what Romans seven eighteen says. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Nothing good dwells within the, in the human sinful nature. Nothing good dwells within us. We are by nature evil and we cannot change. Even if we wanted to do good, we cannot. Listen to what Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah says. He says, can an Ethiopian change his skin? That is, can a dark man change his skin and make it light? Or can a light man change his skin and make himself dark? No. And then he says, can a leopard change its spots? Can a leopard change its brown fur to gray fur or brown fur to white fur? No, it can't. And then he says, neither can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil. Can a human who knows evil do good? Jeremiah says, no. The Bible says, no. And now you might be thinking, well, what do we do? We're evil, we're wicked, and we cannot do good. Where do we go from here? Well, thankfully, the passage does not end here. Let's read John 8, verses 34 to 36 again. Jesus said, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So what is this passage saying? That Jesus sets us free. He sets us free from what? The bondage of sin, the slavery of sin. When we believe in Jesus, when we call on the name of Jesus Christ to be saved, when we believe by faith, we are changed. And the Holy Spirit comes upon us and we are set free. We are set free from our sin. Listen to what Ezekiel prophesied about in the Old Testament. He says this, listen to this. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. Hmm, a new spirit. What could that mean? Well, he's referring to the Holy Spirit. Listen to this. I will remove from your heart, I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you, the Holy Spirit, and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. What is Ezekiel saying? That when we believe and we receive the Holy Spirit, He enables us. The Holy Spirit moves us to follow God's decrees and commands. It's the Holy Spirit who produces a desire within us to do good. He gives us the ability to do good works. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. Think about Ephesians 2.10. What does Ephesians 2.10 say? We are saved for what? For good works that God has prepared beforehand. As Christians, we are saved for good works. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He frees us from our sin and enables us to do what is good. So freedom in Christ is not a license to sin however we wish, but freedom in Christ is freedom to do what we ought to. 
to do good, to obey God. It's freedom to obey, just as Ezekiel prophesied about. And not only can we obey, but now we can say no to our evil, sinful desires. We can say no to sin. Listen to what Titus 2.11-12 says. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So the grace of God has appeared. What is the grace of God? It's manifested in Jesus Christ. And when we believe, we receive the Holy Spirit and it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to worldly passions. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. It teaches us to say no. One of the functions of the Holy Spirit is saying no to sin. We can finally obey and we can say no to our temptations. But does that mean our sin nature goes away? That our our depravity leaves us? No, that's not what this is saying at all. Now we have the Holy Spirit who gives us new desire. Desire to do what is good. And that is in... Okay. And that is in competition with our evil, sinful desire. They're at war with one another. Listen to what Galatians 5 verses 16 to 17 says. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. So what is this passage saying? We have the Holy Spirit, and now a war is being waged within us. Flesh versus spirit. Our sinful, evil nature is at war with the spirit that God has placed within us that moves us to do good, that moves us to obey. It gives us desire to do what is good. We can now please God. These are in conflict with each other. So, how do we put to death then the the sinful desires of our flesh? Well, let's look at Galatians 5, 16 and 17. Listen to what it says. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So what does that phrase mean, walk by the Spirit? Because Paul says, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And in Romans, he says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So what, what is this idea of walking by the Spirit and living by the Spirit so that you put to death the misdeeds of the body? What exactly does that mean? Well, I think these phrases are getting at this idea of it's almost yielding, yielding to the power of the Spirit or it's the idea of resting in the Holy Spirit. It's almost surrendering our wills and our sinful evil desires and giving them to God and and following the desires of the Spirit. So that's what he means by, by the Spirit, put to death the misdeeds of the body. You know, follow the way of the Spirit, the will and the desires of the Spirit. But I also think there's a little more to it. And think of Ephesians chapter 6 when, when Paul talks about the armor of God. What does he say about the sword? What does he say? It's the sword of the Spirit. And what does is, what is the sword symbolize in that passage? It symbolizes the Word of God. So what he's saying is, the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. And what is the sword for? 
It's for combating and piercing sin. So we get this idea that fighting sin has an idea has this concept of the Word of God, the Bible. But then listen to what Galatians three five says. Paul says, "I ask, does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you by works of the law or by believing what you have heard?" Obviously, it's by believing what we've heard. It's having faith. So God gives us our the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, by believing. By hearing what we've heard and believing it. Having faith in the promises of God. So I think combating sin, what the Bible is getting at with combating sin, is hearing the word of God and believing what it says. Having faith. That's how we fight sin. That's how we put to death the misdeeds of the body. By the Spirit. Is by hearing the word of God and having faith in what it says. So now let's look at 1 Corinthians 10.13. Listen to what it says. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So what is this passage saying? What is this passage saying? What is the sword of the Spirit saying? That whenever you are tempted, there will always be a way of escape. And this is why I want this sermon to be so encouraging for us as Christians. Because we have the Holy Spirit. Every time we're tempted to do wrong, every time we're tempted to do evil, we can say no. We can turn from our sin. There is a way of escape every time we are tempted. We can always say no to our sin. What does this text teach? That sin is never inevitable. You can always say no to your sin. You can always turn from your sin. Sin is never inevitable. Giving in to temptation is never inevitable. When all the odds are stacked against you, when you are sure you are going to fail, there will always be a way of escape. Always. Always. And let's apply. So now, look at when, when we look at this passage again, Do you believe this? Do you have faith? The faith that you believe in the gospel? Do you have faith in this text also? That what it is saying is true? That every time you are tempted, there will be a way out. You can endure it. You don't have to give in. I mean, this should be so encouraging. You never have to sin. You can always turn from it. You never have to give in. But what exactly does this look like practically? What does the way of escape look like for each and every sin well it's hard to say and it takes wisdom but the bible provides answers for some sins so say let's look at the idolatry of money for for starters let's say that so let's turn to hebrews 13 5 and 6 and listen to what the text says keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have so what is the sword of the spirit saying what is the word of god saying Keep your lives free from the love of money. Do not let money become an idol in your life. Well, how do we do that? How do we not let this happen to us? Well, let's look at the second half of the verse. Because God has said, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? What is he saying? How do you be free from the love of money? You trust in who God is. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. He will take care of you. It might not be in the way you think, but if you have the Lord, nothing else 
matters. If you believe nothing else matters, you will always be taken care of. God is worth more than anything else in this world. So, right there we see, how do we keep ourselves free from the love of money? It's knowing who God is, the character of God. And it's believing this text. It's having faith that God is true to his word. You know, he never will believe, he never will leave you. He never will forsake you. Do you truly believe that? If you do, that will keep you from the love of money. So let's look at maybe another example. Let's look at uh, sexual sin, say. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 6.18. This is what the text says. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. So what is this text saying? It's saying, what is the remedy? What is the way of escape from sexual sin? It's fleeing from it. It's running from it. Think of Joseph. Remember Joseph fleeing from Pharaoh's wife? He runs from her. He doesn't hang around and say, oh, no, 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 I can't. He runs. He flees. And that is the way of escape for sexual sin. It's running from it. It's fleeing from it. It's staying away from it. Do you believe this? Do you have faith? In this text, do you believe that what this is saying is true? That sexual sin is so severe, so wicked, that you should run from it. Don't entertain it. Flee it. That means if you're watching pornography on your phone, it means you get rid of it because you can't handle that responsibility. That's what that means. You're fleeing from your sin. If your iPhone causes you to stumble, you get rid of it. You're fleeing from it. You can't flee from sin that's in your pocket. And then, let's look at the, the third sin now. The, a third sin, which is anxiety. What is the, the remedy for anxiety? What is the way of escape for anxiety? Well, let's look at Philippians 4, 6, and 7. This is what the text says. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So what is this passage teaching? How do you be free from your anxiety? Well, it's confessing it to God. Let Him know. Pray, God, these, this is what's worrying me. This is what is stressing me out. This is what's making me anxious. Present your request to God. And then it says, the peace of God. What is the peace from? It's peace from anxiety. It's peace from worry. And it's, the text says, you, your hearts will be guarded. And listen to what 1 Peter 5, 7 says. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. How are you free from anxiety? It's knowing the character of God, that He cares for you. That He's going to take care of you. You can cast your anxiety on Him. You do not have to worry because God is for you. He is with you. Does that mean life's going to be easy? No. But he'll always be by your side. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, those are just some examples of what it, it means to have a way of escape from sin. We talked about money, sexual sin, and anxiety. But there are so many more. And it comes from knowing God and reading scripture and believing it. Believing that it's true. And this is how I want to encourage you guys. You can overcome your sin. 
You can beat temptation. You can do good. Walk in the Spirit. And now I just want to be clear. Some of you might be worried right now and being like, oh my gosh, like I'm a Christian, but I'm still in sin. Like maybe I'm not a Christian, maybe I'm not a Christian. And that was not the aim of this sermon at all. My aim is to encourage you guys that you can conquer your sin by the Spirit who enables you and gives you the power to do so. And I just want to be clear. When you're saved, when salvation comes, when you believe in Jesus Christ and call on His name, you're not automatically made perfect. You're not perfect, but you're in a process. You know, it's called sanctification. You know, Christianity doesn't, salvation doesn't mean perfection. It means you've begun a process. Remember what I said? Once you become saved, it's now a war between the spirit and the flesh. And I I want you guys to remember that. It's a process. Listen to what 2 Corinthians 3, 17 to 18 says. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And what do we say biblical freedom is? It's freedom from sin. It's freedom from sin so that we don't have to gratify the sinful desires of our flesh. We're no longer enslaved to sin. We've been freed. We can do good. That is freedom. And then he says, And we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory and are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. What's the key word in that passage? We're being transformed. It's not a one and done deal, but it's a process. It's a transformation. Being made into the image of God. Going back to what we were in the garden. That's what it is. We're trying to be... It's a restoration. It's a transformation. It's not a one and done deal. It's a process. Remember that. So if you're feeling beat down by your sin... If the burdens are so hard to bear, well, there's freedom by the Spirit. It's called, and it's through Jesus Christ, faith and belief in Him. So I don't want to cast these heavy burdens on which you cannot bear. Because we all sin. We're all going to sin. I'm not saying that sin is never going to happen again. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that sin is never inevitable. We now choose to sin. We are choosing, we have the choice between good and evil and we can always choose good by the power of the Spirit. And that is really all I have for us today. I just want to be clear that biblical freedom does not give us license to sin. It doesn't. Biblical freedom gives us the ability to do what we ought. It frees us from sin. It frees us from sin. And in our fight against sin, ultimately, when we sin, it's our responsibility. It's nobody else's. And I think a lot of times why we fall into sin is because we do not take it seriously enough. We don't take it seriously. We don't fight sin as hard as we should. And we we constantly give in. And I just want to share, and this is the last thing I'm going to share, is Hebrews 12:4, And it says, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And what is that passage getting at? We should be fighting sin hard. We should be combating sin. We should be doing all we can to resist it. 
all we can. We need to fight sin. It's no joke. It's no joke. And uh, I'll just share this quote with you guys. Um, and, and it says, A little pebble in the shoe of a traveler will make any person weary in his walk to heaven. A little pebble in the shoe will make any traveler weary in his walk to heaven. And that little pebble is sin. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your spirit who enables us to do what is good and to do what is right. God, through your word and through the spirit, you teach us to say no to sin. And God, if there are any of us who are enslaved to sin, we are caught in the snare of sin, we're entangled in it, and we cannot escape, we're in a pit in which we cannot climb out of. God, I pray that we can call on your name, call on the name of Jesus for salvation, and believe in his death and resurrection, so that the Spirit may come upon us, and we may be restored and share in the inheritance that is to come for believers, and that is heaven, so that we may share in that glory. God, I pray that you give us strength to resist sin. I pray that we live lives that honor and glorify you, that honor your name, God. I pray that we do not bring shame upon you through our sin, but we honor you and bring you praise so that we can be a light unto others. God, keep your church pure. Sanctify your bride. Keep us from sin. We thank you for your love and grace and patience that even when we do sin, we have Jesus, our advocate, who stands on our behalf so that we don't have to stay in shame but we can stand before you in confidence, not because of what we've done, but because of the perfect life Jesus Christ lived. Amen.